Pray with me, please. Holy God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be found acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm sure you are thinking that is a text that preaches itself. Maybe it's a text that really needs no further amplification. Maybe I should just read it again and let the power of it convict each one of us. Today's text contains one of the many parables that Jesus used in his teaching. Now remember that in the parables, Jesus made use of events and circumstances that are common to human life, things that everyone had either experienced themselves or were easily observable. And he did so not to point so much to those observable circumstances, but to point beyond those observable circumstances to things eternal. Today's parable describes the observable reality of the disparity between those who are rich and those who are poor. Those who have the world by the tail and those who frankly are the tail. But in addition to being rich, the man in today's parable is also uncaring, arrogant, even blind to the needs of his neighbor, Lazarus. Hmm, Lazarus. Where have you heard that name before? Lazarus. It's a little curious to me that this is the only time in the telling of many parables that Jesus ever names someone. This is the only name ever given to anyone in a parable told by Jesus. So maybe, maybe there really was a beggar in that town whose name was Lazarus and Jesus was making explicit reference to that person. Or maybe, knowing already that in some days ahead, he was going to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead and that even in his resurrection, few would be convinced. Maybe Jesus is using the name of his friend and applying it in this story to point to the reality that even if someone returns from the dead, those who are not convicted by the word of God, nor will they be convicted even by that. It's a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Lazarus, and I dare say it is a foreshadowing of the response of humanity even to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we are not convinced by the word of God. If we are not convinced by the spirit of God, we will not be convinced even if the living God should return from the dead and walk among us. It is a text that is about more than what it appears to be about. Parables always point beyond themselves to eternal realities, to eternal truths. And so we wanna look in this text for those evidences in the temporal life that Jesus is using to point to realities beyond this life. I think the first eternal truth that we might lift up from this parable today is that there is a reality beyond this temporal life. Now, not everyone today would agree with that. Some believe that indeed ashes to ashes, dust to dust is all there is. This world is all there is. This world is all there is to live for. And accumulating the benefits of life in this world is what life is all about. Jesus points beyond the reality of this world to a reality beyond this life. There is a reality 
beyond the temporal life we are now living. Second truth is not everyone is going to spend that eternal reality the same way. If anything is lifted up in today's text, it is that there is a disparity between the way that human beings will spend eternity. The text says the time came when the beggar died, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Does it sound to you like Lazarus and the rich man ended up in the same place after death? You should be shaking your heads at least, if not audibly saying no. It sounds like they're in different places, doesn't it? It sounds like those are places that are, frankly, far away from one another. The reality of hell being different from the reality of heaven. We also know that the people who are in hell know what's going on in heaven, which is probably hell itself. I mean, what do we hate more than seeing that somebody has got something that we want? That might have already been the character of the people who go to hell anyway. A desiring and a grasping for the things that others have, always wanting to accumulate more. I know. You didn't come to church today to hear a sermon about hell. This is not a subject matter that preachers just make up to scare people. This is a biblical truth presented to us in grace by Jesus Christ. He wants us to know. He doesn't want the realities beyond this life to be a mystery to anyone. He wants us to be able to make an informed choice in this life because the choices that we make in this life rebound beyond this life. The rich man in this story is characterized as being in hell. He's characterized as being tormented, in agony, in fire. Those are not things that Dante made up. Lazarus is in heaven, comforted by angels, hanging out with Abraham. There is a difference between heaven and hell, and heaven and hell are real. I think one of the things that Satan is trying to convince our generation of is that there really is no hell. Everybody goes to heaven, not according to Jesus, on whom my faith depends. If you don't believe that there is a hell, you don't believe that Jesus speaks the truth. If you don't believe that there is a hell, then you do believe that Jesus is a liar. And my friends, if he lied about this, how could he be trusted to have told us the truth? about anything else. According to Jesus, heaven and hell are physical realities. And not only that, they are what we would call fixed positions. Abraham says that a great chasm has been fixed between the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. There is no migrating to and fro. That means there is no praying anyone into either reality. Once someone has departed this life, scripture informs us that their eternal destiny is fixed. You and I cannot pray them from one reality to the other. Nor can you and I, if we go to heaven, go fetch people from hell. It doesn't work that way. Much as we might like to think that we can change our minds after we die, 
Today's parable strongly suggests that we make our decision about our eternal destiny while we are still here walking the earth, pointing to the final truth revealed in today's text, and that is our temporal decisions have eternal consequences. The choices and decisions that we make in this life follow us beyond this life, wherever we may go. The choices we make, what we do, even what we leave undone matters. How we treat others in this life matters to God. How we use our time, how we use our gifts, how we use our talents, how we use the resources of our life and labor, those things matter not only in this life, they matter eternally. I want to be careful not to suggest that our good deeds is what's going to get us into heaven or our bad deeds are what are going to get us into hell. Jesus Christ alone is the judge. Jesus Christ alone is going to determine who goes where. The most important decision any of us will ever make is a decision for him. He is Lord. He is the Christ, the Messiah. Choose him and you choose heaven. But the deeds of this life do follow us. What we do on this earth and what we leave undone matters, not only here and now, but it matters eternally. This idea that our works follow us is a scriptural idea. Jesus says in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, what advantage is it to a man to gain his whole life if he forfeits his soul? That's a really good question for us to ask. What does it profit me to gain everything that the world has to offer if I'm going to spend the rest of eternity apart from God? Scripture also says that Jesus came that we might make a living, right? No? Is that not what it says? It doesn't say that Jesus came that we might make a living. No, it doesn't. It says Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly, that we might have life to the full, that we might have real life. Apparently, in God's economy, there is a difference between making a living and making a life. People drew extraordinary things for the love of money. You and I know that. To that point, Jesus says this in the sixth chapter of Matthew, Friends, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where are your treasures? If you can actually account for them upon this earth, then starting today, you need to stop focusing on making a living and you need to start focusing on making an eternal life. You and I are already living our eternal lives. This is the temporal or fleshly part of it, but it has continuity with the life that is to come. This is indeed the beginning of our eternal lives. We know that people will do extraordinary things for the love of money. We also know that people will do extraordinary things for the love of Christ. The world has been literally transformed. Not the world made a little bit different, but the world actually made differently, recreated, transformed by the power of Christ alive 
in people's lives. People will do extraordinary things for the love of money. Will we also do extraordinary things for the love of Christ? I will acknowledge to you that in the culture and in the generation in which we live, it is difficult to get beyond the impulse to make a living and figure out what it really means to make a life, a life that is worthy of the gospel, the calling to which we have been called. But today's parable does give us a clue as to what it means in God's economy to make a living and not, or to make a life, not just to make a living. When we encounter another human being in need, we are to receive that person as a divine opportunity to pour out God's grace and favor, passing along the blessings that we in turn have already received. So in concrete terms, what does that really mean? It doesn't just mean that you put money in the plate at the church. It doesn't. In fact, it doesn't just have to do with money. Passing along the blessings that we have received, encountering actual human beings in real human need and seeking to pour out grace and favor upon them is not just about our bank accounts. Do not misunderstand and shrink the biblical concept of stewardship to a 10% tithe of your money. It's about our lives. It's about giving God our time and our energy and our imagination and our love. In concrete terms, it might mean a simple act of kindness every day. You can do that. You've got time for a simple act of kindness every day. The things I'm going to mention actually don't take any time away from the things that you'd already be doing in places you'd already be. It's just beginning to perceive the opportunities, the divine opportunities of God a little bit differently. So leave the parking places that are closest to the door for those who actually need them. That applies in our parking lot as well. If you are the first one here, you actually should park where? The furthest away. So that the people who are running late and had a comb stuck in somebody's hair and it took 45 minutes to untangle can get the place that's closest to the door so they won't be late for worship either. Simple acts of kindness, not just here, but in the parking lot of the grocery store or in the parking lot at the football game. Have you noticed the lots that are closest to the stadium are the ones that fill up first? That is senseless. The people who get there earliest should park the furthest away, allowing the latecomers to park the closest. Doesn't that sound like grace to you? All right. How about, you've been, you've, I know you've had this experience because I've had this experience. You're in line at the grocery store or you're in line at the dollar store or wherever you're standing in line at the store and the person in front of you obviously does not have enough money to cover their purchase. And they are trying to decide either what of those essential items that they're purchasing they're going to leave behind or they're rifling through the bottom of their bag hoping that by some miracle some money is going to be produced in a place where they know there isn't any. And you know you've got that extra change in your hand. Taking the moment that it requires to say thank you to a police officer or to a fireman or to men and women in uniform of any kind. Try this. If somebody's name is sewn on their shirt or they are wearing a name tag of any kind, say thank you to that person. You and I have the opportunity this Christmas season to buy wrapping paper anywhere. 
buy it from a kid. Take the time when you're on vacation. You'll have to actually take the time before you leave, but some of you spend an inordinate amount of time and energy planning your vacations, so this shouldn't add a lot of uh, trouble to that. Find out who God has placed in those places where you're already going to visit. Who are the missionaries in those locations? And plan to take them to dinner while you're there. You'll learn more about the place that you are visiting, and you will bless that missionary beyond measure. You should be the person to pray at the meal and you should pray over them. It will change your vacation, and it will change their lives. We volunteer our time to mentor kids. If you don't, and you're looking for something to do, that is a great way to impact the world. Plan ahead. Plan ahead to leave a lasting legacy of love. When you are gone, the gifts of this life will have a significant impact on others. It's your money. You get to decide what it's going to do. Do something that has an eternal consequence. Do something that's going to have a great impact. The abundant life that Jesus died to give us is more than mansions on the beach. It is a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. It is a life that is literally spent, literally exhausted, literally poured out in service to others. Our good works upon this earth do not themselves determine whether or not we go to heaven or to hell. That is up to Jesus. The works of this life do follow us. There is an inexplicable continuity between this life and the next. What we do here matters. So as you do your Christmas shopping, let me ask you to consider this. Have you ever heard of alternative gifts? Most of us, including me, have everything actually beyond what we really need. If you are somebody who doesn't have what you really need, then you need to be communicating that to us because we have more than we need. So alternative gifts work this way. You buy something for someone who really needs it and a card is sent to the person who really doesn't need anything saying that on their behalf and in their name, this thing that somebody really needed was given to them. So it works kind of like this. You give a teacher, instead of an apple or an apple-shaped anything, you give them a little card that says, in their name, you have provided for the education of a child in Africa for the next year. Or for your mother, you give the gift of providing a flock of hens that will provide lasting income to a single mother half a world away. Or the gift to your doctor might be providing immunizations for a whole village in Asia. You might give the old goat in your life the gift of a goat. Everybody's got an old goat in their life, right? In the honor of that person, you give a goat. A goat whose milk will provide for a family, whose offspring they can sell, and whose life promises for them a better life. It isn't just about how we spend our money at Christmas, though. It's about how we use our lives to positively impact the lives of others. There's a story about a little girl walking along the beach, a beach that is littered by dying starfish. Every step she takes, she bends down, she picks up one starfish, and she, th she throws it back into the ocean. A man approaches on his morning run, stepping on starfish as he makes his way. He calls out to her, what you're doing doesn't matter. 
There's too many of them. You cannot save them all. And holding the next little starfish in her hand, she looks into his eyes, and with all the confidence of God, she says, it matters to this one. You may not be able to impact every child or every nation under heaven, but you can impact one, and that will make all the difference. Let's pray. Holy God, the world is too small for us not to know. We cannot feign ignorance. We acknowledge that we have been given the resources to make a difference in the world, and we possess the intellect and the imagination to actually make the world different. Help us to do so, if only one person at a time. In Christ's name, amen.